All right. Well, good e afternoon, guys. How you doing? It's hot, right? Yeah. Okay. So since it's hot, we need to talk about something cold real quick. Um, so my name is Alicia. I will not tell you where I'm from, but I will see if you can maybe guess and figure it out. But I'm going to ask you a couple questions first before we get started. I want to know where you're from. And since it's hot, we're going to do, I want to know your favorite flavor of ice cream. All right. All right. My first victim, I mean person. I'm going to pick my friend here who has the fan on his face since the time he got it before service, just dying. So we need to get some coldness into you. So let's talk about your favorite flavor ice cream. First of all, what's your name? Paul. Everybody say, hi, Paul. Hi. Say, how you doing, Paul? Hi. All right. Paul, where are you from? New Jersey. Where in New Jersey? Egg Harbor Township. What is it? Egg Harbor Township. Oh, Egg Harbor Township. Okay. And what's your favorite flavor of ice cream? Chocolate. Okay. I can, I can handle that one. You passed. That was a good one. Okay, if you said vanilla, I mean, if anybody likes vanilla, it's not okay, actually. So, yeah, you didn't say vanilla, so that's good. Okay, um, my, my young friend here, what is your name? Caleb. Everybody say, hi, Caleb. Hi, Caleb. Caleb, stand up. Okay, everybody say, Caleb. Hi, Caleb. Everybody say, Caleb. Caleb. That's a nice shirt you got on. <laughs> so, you knew you wore that just for us today, right? That's what you did? Yes, yeah. maybe. Okay, Caleb, we want to know where you're from. Qingdao. Are you sure about that, Caleb? You pause a little bit there, Caleb. Where are you going home to? What's the name of it? Qingdao. Qingdao. Okay, I was just in Hong Kong, actually, a few weeks ago. Tell me your favorite flavor ice cream. Chocolate chip cookie dough. Ooh, he passes, right? I think he's good. I think he's good. All right, I'm coming back here. Who can I find? Come here, young lady. We have to move on to these lovely young ladies we have here. Okay, and what is your name? Katie. Everybody say, hi, Katie. Hi, Katie. Say, how you doing, Katie? All right, Katie, where are you from? Pennsylvania. Oh, okay. Give us a city or a town that you're in or near. Um, Comor. Okay. And what's your favorite flavor of ice cream? Chocolate. Okay, we're, guys, I'm approving of your ice cream flavors. This is making me feel really good about you guys. Okay, one more person. I'm going this way. This young gentleman's sitting here praying that I wasn't going to call on him, but I found you. Isn't that annoying? Tell me your name. Trenton. Hi, Trenton. Um, where are you from? Um, Fredericksburg, Virginia. Okay, I think I've been there. I think I've been there. And what's your favorite flavor ice cream? Now, wait a minute. Before you answer this question, okay, in my opinion, which is really the only opinion that matters here, um, we're three for three. Okay, we're three for three on ice cream flavors. Don't mess this up. You ready? What is your favorite ice cream flavor? Mint. Okay, I'm okay with mint, mint chocolate chip. Okay, yes, you're good with me. You're good with me. Yes, I, I, if you notice, I like anything along the, the chocolatey kind of range, and yes. You know, I said no one do one more, but let's do one more. One more lady. Come on here. Come up. Come up here with her yellow and gray. I love it. Tell us, please, your name. I'm Jaden. I would say, hi, Jaden. Say, Jaden, you have a nice smile. Thank you. <laughs> All right, Jaden, where are you from? I'm from Manchester, New Jersey. Okay, and what's your favorite flavor ice cream? Wait. We are four for four on my approval, which is the only approval that matters here. No, Anyways, okay, so four for four, what do you have for us? I don't know if you're going to like it. I like birthday cake flavor. Oh, I love that. That's a good one because you can put chocolate in it. Yes. <laughs> okay, good. Did anybody want to take a guess as to where I'm from? Where in New York do you think I'm from? Ah, oh, well done, well done, yes. It is on my shirt. Um, I live in Atlanta, Georgia, and any opportunity I get to come north, I relish it because the north is home for me. 
and um, grew, born and raised in Rochester, New York. I lived in Philly for five and a half years. So I have, yep, I've done the Pennsylvania thing. Um, I've lived in Boston for four plus years. That was amazing. I love Boston. It's around the ocean, and there's amazing seafood and amazing sports teams. Um, and I won't mention the name Tom Brady at all today. Um, but anyways, so... Uh, yeah, and now I live in Atlanta, Georgia. And so you know, you know what I get to do, guys? I actually get to go around to all kind of places all around the world and speak to people who think Christianity is a bunch of garbage. That's just the way it is, okay? They may be of a different religion. They may be of no religion. People say, you believe in this Christianity thing. Isn't it fairy tales? It's just silliness. It's just stupid. You can't prove the Bible. And the Bible's written by humans, and they've changed it. And God allows pain, and so he can't exist. And are there so many good people out there that believe other religions? Why do you think Christianity's true? My job is to answer all of those tough questions. Anybody want to do that job? No. I got one hand. There you go. One person is willing to, to do that job. There you go. So that's what I get to do. So actually, believe it or not, I'm a little weird, and I actually really like it. Yep, yep, I actually really like it. Um, from the time I was, do I have any, like, 14-year-olds in here? Okay, one. Nice try. That was that. We're going to do 14 plus, plus a few years kind of a situation, right? Any 14-year-olds? Who's 14? There you go. Okay, so right about your age, actually maybe even younger, I started really thinking about these questions. I grew up in church, and I started asking. I'm like, you can't give me a Bible and say you need to live your life after it, guys. Like, I need more than that. Um, and so I started questioning things. And so I'm going to chat with you a bit today about two particular stories in the Bible that you may or may not have read or heard at some point. And then I'm actually going to turn over to a time of question and answers. You know why? Because that's actually my favorite part. And I want you to feel free to ask me questions on anything I said or even anything I didn't say. Because here's the reality. Even though I grew up in church, I doubted and I questioned, especially when I went to college. And I went to a Christian college. And I was in a Bible class when I questioned and walked away from Christianity. So it wasn't that I went to some really crazy school. I went to a Christian college, right? So all that to say, you may yourself or you may know people who have questions or who have doubts or have always just kind of tried to figure certain things out about Christianity just didn't make any sense, I'd be happy to also entertain those questions during our question and answer time. Does that sound good? All right. Well, if any of you have your Bibles or apps or have the Bible memorized, you can turn to Luke chapter 7. Now, I hear that, the, that if you have the Creation Fest app, there's a Bible in there too, so you can go and use that Bible too. So there's options out there for you. But either way, I'm going to read you this story. And what we're going to look at today is the way that Jesus interacted with people that society was like, ew. Don't touch them. Don't come near me. I don't want anything to do with them. They're dirty or they've done bad things and this kind of stuff. And we want to see how did Jesus actually respond to these people. So I'm going to, I'm going to um, look at two different passages, Luke chapter 7 and John chapter 7 and 8. Um, if you like some of the stuff I'm saying, I encourage you to check out a guy named Kenneth Bailey. Um, Kenneth Bailey actually lived in Pennsylvania. I don't know where. He passed away recently, but he spent 40 years, 40 plus years in the Middle East. He's a Christian. Then 40 plus years in the Middle East. And one thing he learned is that Middle Eastern culture really doesn't change too much. In other words, what you see today in the Middle East is probably what it was like 2,000 years ago when Jesus walked the earth. And so he 
talks about how somebody in the Middle East would read and understand the stories that we read so often. So Kenneth Bailey wrote a book called Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes, and that's where I'm getting predominantly most of what I'm going to tell you about today from. So if you're ever interested in learning more about this, I would suggest that you check out that book because it will change the way in which you read the Bible stories. But first, let's, op- let's look at Luke chapter 7, and we will go to verse 36, and I will read it for you. All right. Is everybody there? We're good? Okay. It says, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped him with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii, that's a lot of money, and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I came has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. How many of you have read that story before or heard of that story? All right, so a lot of you are familiar with that story. So we're going to look at this today because I think there's a lot that we can learn from how Jesus responded to this woman and in turn responded to the religious leaders that were there. First of all, let's give you a little background, a little bit of setting. Based off of what we can gather when you read the whole story, this woman had probably had had encountered Jesus before, okay? She was actually there not because um, she wanted to, she needed forgiveness from him. She had already received forgiveness from Jesus. So she was there to say thank you to him for what he had forgiven her for, okay? So she already um, heard Jesus' message of grace, and she believed in it, and she already repented. And so she's coming here to say, thank, to say thanks. So Jesus is invited to this house, and he's invited to this house by the religious leaders who are the Pharisees, and he's invited there because they think they need to teach him a thing or two about what God believes. See, Jesus was okay with talking with sinners. He was okay with being with sinners, and these Pharisees had a problem with that. So they needed to bring him here to teach him what he's doing wrong. But when he comes in, let's say I was to go to your house. I was to come to my friend's house here. I knock on the door. He welcomes me in. He says, Alicia, welcome. He says, please feel free to hang up your jacket here. Feel free to sit on the chair here. Can I get you some tea? Can I get you some snacks? Like these are kind of common things that happen when we come to somebody's house, right? Same thing then. When you come into somebody's house, there's certain things that would happen. You would say to somebody, you give them a kiss as a greeting. 
They would sit on stools around the couch so they could clean their feet because their feet are really dirty because they're walking around, not with really nice Nikes on, but their feet were pretty dirty. Some people, um, oh, sorry, then you also would say, you would also clean your hands with water and oil because in order to, to even say grace for the meal, you had to be clean first. Okay, these are the normal things that you would do. Then you would recline on the couch, which was kind of a, not a couch like we have today, it was more of like a you kind of a couch. And you would recline on this couch and, and then do your meal. But when Jesus came, no one greeted him with a kiss. No one gave him anything to clean his hands and feet for, for the meal. Nothing. And then he reclines on the couch, which is what the oldest person in the room would have done. So that's interesting. And Jesus wasn't the oldest person in the room. He was only about 30. So this is interesting that he would recline on the couch in this way. So they are being quite rude and disrespectful to him. It just be like if I came to my friend's house and I walked in and he kind of looked at me and then walked off. And I was like, okay, I guess I'll just go and sit on the couch then and wait for him. And this woman who's already there is watching how Jesus is being treated. She's seeing all of this. Now, let's tell you a little bit about the woman. That's the background. Let's talk about, talk about the woman. The woman was assumed to be a prostitute. And because she knew that he would be there, she knew that Jesus would eat with sinners because she knew she was a sinner. Do you know what I mean by sin? Sin is essentially not living in the way that you're supposed to live. You are failing at what you were supposed to be doing, how you were supposed to uh, function, how you're supposed to treat people. These are, you're doing things that you should not be doing. And she was doing that. She was a prostitute. And so she is considered unforgivable by the society. We can't forgive this woman. Do you know what she's done? She's done horrible things. In order for her, for her to get true for repentance, she needs to express grief and sincere remorse. She needs to confess what she's done wrong. And she needs to provide some sort of compensation for her sin. But what can she provide? She's a prostitute. Now, you might wonder, well, why in the world would these religious people have this woman here? Well, because believe it or not, it looked honorable for these people to have this woman in their house because it showed, oh, look, I'm taking care of the outcasts. So she was allowed to eat, but after everybody else ate, then she was allowed to eat. Okay? So it made the Pharisees feel good. Oh, look, we're, we're the religious leader. Look, we're taking care of the outcasts. We're feeding people in need. So it wasn't really out of compassion for her. It was more out of them just feeling good about themselves. So she came in here, already being forgiven by Jesus, and her intent was probably just to anoint him with oil. How do we know that? Because she didn't have any water. She didn't, have any, she didn't bring a towel with her. She didn't intend to do what she did. If she had intended that, she would have brought those kind of things to use to wash Jesus' feet. She was just going in to anoint him with oil. But she watched Jesus not be given water, not be given a towel, not be given anything to clean himself. And so she begins to cry. Why? Because this man who had been so kind to her was being mistreated in front of her face. And so she begins to cry. And then it hits her, wait a minute. I do have water. Nobody gave him anything to clean his feet with, but I have something I can clean his feet with. I have my tears. And even though I don't have a towel on me, I have my hair. And so she begins to use her tears and her hair to offer to Jesus the normal hospitality that anybody would offer somebody when they came into their house. 
letting down your hair was a big deal. A woman was only supposed to let down her hair with her husband around, like in their home. And she lets down her hair, which essentially is her pledging her ultimate loyalty to Jesus in front of all these people. That was a big deal. They would have seen her take her hair down and been like, that is so, like, not appropriate in this setting. And she was pledging her loyalty to him. So what does Jesus do? What should he do here? If he pushes her away and shuns her and embarrasses her and rejects her, then he would be considered a noble and, and a noble prophet, a noble teacher by the religious leaders. But he doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. He allows her to continue. So Simon, the guy who, who was at the house, he gets upset because Jesus has shown himself to be a false prophet. No real true prophet would allow a woman to engage with him in this way. What's interesting about this is that when somebody receives forgiveness, they would go to the temple structure. If any of you are here around 1030, 1020 tomorrow morning, I'm going to be on the main stage and I'm going to be talking about the tabernacle and the temple and what that actually meant and how that ties in with Jesus' crucifixion. Because Jesus' story doesn't start in Matthew. Jesus' story starts in Genesis 1. And it goes throughout the whole Old Testament and New Testament. I will talk about what the temple was for, but the temple was there for people to make sacrifices. When they did wrong, an animal had to die. There was sacrifice that needed to be made so that blood could be shed. So that's where you went to forget forgiveness of sins. You went to the temple. But this woman goes to Jesus. Who goes to a man to have their sins forgiven? What is she saying here? She's saying, Jesus, you are the temple. You are the temple that I go to to receive forgiveness. She's recognizing that Jesus is not just a mere man because the temple is where God dwells. And here Jesus, the temple she believes in, is dwelling right in front of her. She is recognizing Jesus' divinity. So she's making a big statement, which is why the hosts are angry. Not only is she in their house and she's taking care of this man that they were rude to, but she's also recognizing him as someone who can forgive sins, which is something only God can do. Now, obviously, when we do something around each other, we forgive each other. That's fine. But, but only God can forgive sins that we've committed against him. And you know what sins, are, what sins are committed against him? Every single sin that we do is a sin against God. Every single one we do. So Jesus turns to Simon and says, I have something to tell you. Now, if Jesus was to turn to you and say, I have something to tell you, you might be a little scared here, guys. Okay, you might not want to know what it is that he has to tell you. Okay, so then Jesus goes on to talk about how there was a man and people owed him debts. There was two people owed him debts. One owed him 500, one owed him 50 denarii, one owed him 500 denarii, one owed 50 denarii. And Jesus says to Simon, who do you think, when, the, when the, the, the debtor forgave them, who do you think loved or received the debt and was even more grateful for the debt? And Simon essentially is saying, well, the one who has been given, who has been forgiven for so many. So the person who has been forgiven for 500 denarii is going to feel even more love and even more compassion and even more gratefulness for what they've been forgiven because they lost so much. And Jesus says, exactly, Simon. This woman, a woman of many, many, many sins, has been forgiven for so much. And you 
treat me rudely and disrespectfully, a man of little sins, and you treat me in such disrespect. And you wonder why she's extending this affection towards me because she's been forgiven for so much. Now, here's the thing. Jesus is calling Simon out for his rudeness in his own house. You think that's going to go over well? Nope. People are going to remember what Jesus did here. They're going to remember that he stood up for this young woman who was an outcast, who was a sinner, and he forgave her. And they will remember. And eventually Jesus will get hurt for standing up for the sinner on the cross. So this story, guys, demonstrates Jesus' response to the lower caste, the outcast, the prostitute, the sinner. Jesus was always intolerant of sin, but he was never intolerant of the sinner. Now, in your books there, I put a question there, which you probably are seeing. Why don't you take a few minutes to kind of just think about the question before I go on to our next story? For those of you who don't have your books, maybe in front of you, let me read you what the question is that I sent in that's in your books. Your question is this. Is there anyone in your life that you are shunning because of how they look or what they've done wrong? Is there any way, is there a way you can show Christ to them by loving them? In the same way that Jesus was willing to stand up for her, is there somebody maybe that is at school that doesn't really dress really nice because they don't have a lot of money? Maybe they don't smell very nice. Is there somebody there in your life that maybe you are saying, well, look, they're worse than me, so I'm not going to talk to them. I won't, I won't deal with them. Give, a few, give it a think for a few minutes. Okay. Now, you've got plenty of time to think about that even further. So if you still have more, like you want to think about it more, don't worry, you will have more time because you're taking the books with you. I want to move us to John chapter 7 and look at one more story. John chapter 7, verse 53. A very, very popular story. I will go ahead and read it to you. Then they all went home, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery, and they made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started writing on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now. And leave your life of sin. How many of you heard this story before? Oh, good. This is a very familiar one. So let's talk about a little background. Because in order to understand anything, we got to understand context, right? 
So this was happening on the Sabbath um, during the, what's called the Feast of Booths. And this, was, this whole event where this woman is brought to Jesus um, this happens at the temple, which once again I will explain further and talk about tomorrow. But it's where the sacrifices were made for sin. Okay? So this woman is brought to Jesus and put, he is put in a position where he has to decide what is to be done with the sin that she's done. Here's the thing. Because this was such a big time of year, there were roaming guards that were patrolling. And what Herod, King Herod did is he had pathways from his palace to the temple so that the Roman guards could walk and make sure that there was nobody doing any violence or fighting or anything like that. And if they were, the Roman guards could come down and arrest people and deal with people. So there's Roman guards standing up above, kind of watching everything that's happening as well. It is not just the Jewish people that are there. Um, and so they bring this woman to Jesus' feet. And they say, look, Jesus, she's been caught in the act of adultery. What should we do with her? Now, this is interesting. Because usually when it comes to adultery, there's usually two people involved. Usually a man and a woman. But they only bring the woman. Okay? Because once again, in this society, the women are the lower class. In fact, you can even read about how there's um, prisoners had a higher value in terms of their testimony in court than a woman. Okay? So her testimony wasn't even considered credible in court above a criminal's. So the women were at the bottom here. Just like in the last story, the woman are at the bottom. The woman are at the bottom here, which is why they bring the woman to Jesus' feet and they don't bring the man. Okay? And they say the law says she should be stoned. Now, that's not actually true. Leviticus 20 does talk about that, but it says they both, the man and the woman, should be stoned. But they only bring the woman. So they didn't quite get the law. I think they knew the law. They didn't represent the law accurately, and I think that was pr pretty intentional. So they put this woman at Jesus' feet, and they say, okay, Jesus, what are you going to do with her? The law says she should be stoned, but if he does that, what's going to happen? Remember those guards that were going around? They're going to come down, and they're going to arrest him, okay? So if he does that, he's going to be arrested if, he's try if he stones her and carries out the law. But if he obeys the law, then it shows that he's actually a real prophet is what they think. Or if Jesus says, you know what, guys, let's not worry about it. She's a nice young woman. I'm sure she just made a mistake. It's not that big of a deal. If he says this, then you know what happens? They say, see, you really can't be from God because you're ignoring the law, and the law is important. You've got to follow the rules. You've got to follow the punishment. The Pharisees and religious leaders were all about the rules, all about doing these good things because then I, hopefully God is going to be pleased with me. So they have these what they believe is a trap, either stoner or ignore it. Either way, Jesus, either way you go, you're in trouble. So what does Jesus do? He bends down, and he writes something in the ground. Now, I don't know about you, but one day when I get to heaven, there's some questions I want to ask God. This might be one of them. What exactly did you write in the ground? I want to know. Like, people have guessed, and people have said different things they think that he wrote. I don't know what he wrote. It doesn't say. But he bends down and writes in the ground. But here's what's interesting, guys, about writing in the ground. Remember when I said that this is the Sabbath, okay? And on the Sabbath, you can't do any work. You can't even write on the Sabbath. But because the dirt blows with the wind and it, and it just it doesn't stay put, then when you write in the dirt, it's not considered work. 
So when Jesus bends down, he writes something. It's actually, he's actually not breaking the Sabbath rules. And he's showing them, you know what? I'm fully aware of your rules and your laws. I know the laws just like you do. And then he says something really interesting to them. Stands back up and he says, if any of you have ever done anything wrong, go ahead. You pick up the stone and let's carry out what the law commands. You pick up the stone and let's carry out what the law commands. Now, I need to transport you guys from America in 2019 to Middle East or even to India in 2019. Okay? Because we think one way in our particular culture. In American culture, we think very individualistic. I do what I want. I marry who I want. I go to school where I want. I become whatever job in my life or career in my life. I do what I want to do. That's how we think in America. But when you go to other places in the world, you know what they think? No. You will go and become, uh, get a career in what's beneficial for the family. You will marry someone that's beneficial for the family. You will carry yourself in public in a way that brings honor to the family. So they live in what's called an honor-shame culture, where what you do has an impact on your whole family, not just on you. Okay? So when Jesus says to them, so, so here's an example. I have a friend who struggled with men, a friend from the Middle East who uh, is married to a woman now. She's now his wife. But her father struggled with mental illness, struggled with, I think, depression. And so there was tension as to whether or not he could marry this woman because this was shameful. He has depression that's shameful on the whole family. And by him marrying her, that means it's shameful on his family now. Okay? So we think very much in this culture about ourselves, me, myself, and I. Other cultures, they think about us, we, the group of us. So when Jesus looks at these, these Pharisees and says, okay, which one of you has never done anything wrong? This is an interesting statement. Because how many of you have done something wrong in your life? Raise your hand. Okay. Right? So none of us would have been able to pick up a stone and throw it. But you know what else? None of those Pharisees would have been able to pick up the stone and throw it either. Because they had also done something wrong. So what are they going to do? Now they're trapped. First they think they trapped Jesus. Then he traps them. What are they going to do? If they pick up a stone and they throw it, then they are publicly saying, I've never done anything wrong. That's a lie. They, yes, exactly. In that very act, they would be doing something wrong because they're lying, and now just, they have then just done something wrong. And because they've just lied in public, did that lie just affect them? Also what? Okay, sure. Yes, that's a great point. But they weren't, well, maybe they were thinking that, which is why they didn't pick up that stone. It's a good thought, my friend. And so if they picked up that stone and said, I've never done anything wrong, they bring shame on their family. And so now they've got their family's reputation at stake. Do you know what they do? Starting with the oldest, they drop their stones, and they walk away. And now, you know who's left? Jesus and the woman. So he looks at her. What? Where's everybody gone? And she's like, they've all, they've all left me. They're gone. And Jesus looks at her and says, 
I don't condemn you for what you've done either. Now get up and don't do this again. You've got two stories of two women encountering Jesus. Women who are at the bottom of society. Well, maybe they're at the very, very bottom, but they were not high up in society. Let's put it that way. Women who were guilty of doing something wrong. They weren't innocent. Women who were shunned by the public or humiliated as outcasts. Women that Jesus forgave and stood up for. And women that people became angry at Jesus for because he chose to stand up for them. And they would remember that when they wanted him to be put on that cross. By him standing up for, Je- for these women, people were angry with the women for what they've done. But by the end of the stories, they're angry with Jesus. He shifted their shame onto him. He shifted their embarrassment onto him, their humiliation. The anger of the people is all shifted onto him. And so people who were angry with them at the beginning of the story, angry with the women at the beginning of the story, were now angry with Jesus by the end because he stood up for them. Jesus changed the cultural narrative, guys. He flipped things upside down. He stood up for the outcast, but then he also said, your relationship with God isn't based on your good deeds. And he changed things. And as a result of that, many, many, many people were upset with him. I don't know where you guys are today. Maybe you guys are in a place where you feel like you're the outcast. Maybe people don't like you. Maybe people say things about you. Maybe you wonder if God even likes you. Like maybe you're not even sure if God likes you or cares about you. And if that's the case, you can know that you, find a, you can find a home with Jesus. You can find a home with God who says, I will stand up and take your place and take your pain. Now, I've leave, left you about 10-ish, maybe a little bit more, minutes to ask me some questions. So don't even be shy because I know you have them. And it can be, like I said, for those who are coming in, welcome. Sorry that you caught the last three words of what I said, but you're welcome to come anyways, be here anyways. Um, and you can ask me on anything I said, whether it's the story of the woman who was washing Jesus' feet with her hair, whether it's the story of the woman who was caught in the act of adultery, or whether it's on something else. Maybe you're questioning Christianity Maybe you're doubting Christianity. Maybe you have a friend who's questioning Christianity or a friend who's doubting Christianity. You don't think the Bible's trustworthy. You don't think that Christianity is true. You don't think Jesus is the only way to God. Whatever it might be, this is your time to ask me and to get it out. Like I said, I struggled and walked away. And I want to make sure that I, when I struggled and, and questioned Christianity, I didn't have anybody I could go to because I was afraid everybody was going to be mad at me. I will not be mad at you. So feel free to ask a question. And this young lady has been ready. I like you. Let me just give you the high five first. Yeah, get a round of applause first and ask the first question, right? That's like the big, bold move. Talk to my friend. What do you got? Good. Good. 
Yep. Simon, Simon the Pharisee. Sorry. Not Peter. No, sorry. Yes. Okay, sorry. No, Simon the Pharisee was different than Simon Peter. Is that a good point of clarification for you? Sorry, I should have said that. My fault. Did I see more hands? See, the first, one's, the first one's out the way. Now it's easy from here. And the group in the back, you are welcome to ask questions as well. Yes. Okay, how do you learn to have the confidence to share your faith? Yeah, that's a good question. Have any of you ever wanted to talk to, talk to somebody about Christianity and been like, I don't even know what to say? Right? That's like pretty like normal. You know what I found is people actually oftentimes are a lot more open to, to talking than we realize. One thing I've, some people, of course, don't want to talk about it at all. But here's the thing, guys. Christianity deals with the big questions in life. Any worldview, any religion, whether it's Islam, Hinduism, um, Judaism, like any belief system, atheism, has to deal with massive questions in life. For example, how did we get here? Right? Who created this world? Who created people? Who created the trees and the animals? Right? All of these things. And you can't say evolution because evolution is, evolution is a description of how once things came into existence, how they went from existence and formed into, from simple to complex organisms. Evolution doesn't answer the origins question, okay? So I'm not talking about the way that things worked and how things developed and grew. I'm talking about how did things start in the first place. That's a step before, okay? So every religion or worldview has to answer that question. Number two, they have to answer the question of now that I'm here, what do I do? Okay? Do I act nice to people? Do I act mean to people? What is nice? What is mean? What is right? What is wrong? They've got to deal with morality. Okay? Every, uh, every religion needs to deal with what is the purpose? Like, why am I even here in the first place as opposed to non-existing? Why do I exist versus non-existence? I'm actually going to do a whole talk on that. I think on Friday on why am I here. Maybe it's Saturday. Why am I here? Talk on meaning and purpose. Okay? So they have to answer that question. And finally, they have to answer the question, what happens when we die? What, what happens? And I would even add a fifth one. I think every belief system needs to answer, what do we do about this guy, Jesus? Because the fact that today is June 26th is because this man walked the earth. He had a significant impact on humanity. The reason why I raise those things is because what I've discovered is whether somebody's religious or not, they're all asking those questions. And so, therefore, conversations aren't necessarily as foreign to them as we might think because they're asking those questions themselves already. They're just looking for somebody to help them process it through, looking for somebody to help them find answers. So as a Christian, you can come in and say, well, I think God made everything. That answers the origins question. I think we are here um, because God desires, God creates humanity so that we could be in relationship with him, so we could experience this perfect love, this perfect goodness, this, this, this perfect being. He creates us for our benefit, not for his, for our benefit, not for his. You, I would say that there is a right and wrong, and I think that is laid out for us throughout the Old Testament, but also in two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. 
What does it mean to love them? Well, lucky for you, the Bible's answered that question too. So you go to 1 Corinthians 13, it tells you all about what love means. Patience, kindness, forgiving, not keeping record of wrongs, enduring, and never failing. Right? This is how we are to treat people. This is how we are to respond to God. And it answers a question about what happens when we die. So, I, so, so what I've discovered is people are already thinking through these questions, and so it's a matter of me not assuming that people don't want this conversation, but rather saying I'm a part of their journey in, in an already existing conversation they're having in their head or with other people to try and answer these questions and try to understand who really is, if there is a God, why they're here, and how do they engage with the world around them. So I think you step forward and you do it. And if it's awkward, so what? It's awkward. Guys, your life is going to be full of awkward moments. So embrace them. Here we go. Let's do it now. Just, you know, it, just, it is what it is. Sometimes you just got to throw all that out the window and just say, here we go. It's going to be full of awkward, embarrassing moments. That's just the way it is. You're going to trip and fall up the stairs. You're going to drop something you shouldn't have dropped. You're going to say something you shouldn't have said. And it's going to be awkward. It's going to be weird. You made a joke you shouldn't have made a joke about. I mean, it's just, that's just life. So I think we step into it. And when somebody asks you questions that you don't know the answer to, you say, I don't know. I get asked questions, even though I've been doing this nearly six years. I, I get asked questions. I still don't know. So that's okay. People really aren't offended when you don't know the answer. You just say, I go look it up. Let me just give me a minute. Let me go look that up. Or let me get back to you in a couple weeks. Let me look it up. And now you've just scheduled a second conversation with that person. Actually, when they stump you, it's actually a good thing because now you have a reason to make meeting number two. I'm going to go look it up, and I'll get back to you. So can we meet again in two weeks when I look it up? Now you've got meeting number two, conversation number two. So I think we just step into it and just say, you know, and I look for little open doors. So, for example, um, let's just say somebody was like, what would you do this weekend? And I might be like, well, I went to the movies on Saturday, and then we went out for dinner and then Sunday I went to church, and the pastor talked about, like, why we're here on earth and that there's a meaning to our life. So I just drop that in there and see what they say. And they're like, if they're interested, they'll be like, well, what did he say? And then, boom, the door's open now. So that's why I just drop, like, these little, these little, just try and crack the door. And if they don't bite, that's okay, because when they ask me the next question the next time, I'll have another answer, and I'll just keep working at it. Um, but people were generally asking when a, you know, they'll open those questions up. So thank you, my friend, for, for caring and wanting to do that. Anybody else? I think I've, t oh, yes, right here. Okay. So she says her struggle isn't on what to say, it's how to say, it's communication. I would say you just keep doing it and you'll know what works and what doesn't work. So my, my favorite passage is, um, in regards to all this stuff, is, is 2 Timothy 2.22. It's easy to remember because it's all two. 2 Timothy 2.22. And it goes 22 through 26. And it talks about, I'm just going to paraphrase it, but it talks about how we are to engage with people. And, we're, and, our, and, our, and our words should be seasoned with salt. Like we should be engaging in a gentle and a nice way, not argumentative, any of those things. And that kind of makes people feel like you're a safe place for them to talk to. You're a safe place for them to disagree. Like they can disagree with you and still be okay. And uh, so I would, I would say... We work on our communication and always be people who are representing Christ in our words and our gentleness. If you notice, guys, who did Jesus get mad at in the New Testament?
Somebody said it. Somebody said it back there, I think. Pharisees. Exactly. Pharisees. He got mad at the religious people. He got mad at us. A lot of the silly things that religious people say. You know who he never got angry with? The people who didn't believe in him. He was gentle with them. He took time with them. He healed them. He talked to them. Right? That's how we do it. Okay? We allow people to ask their questions, and we try and answer them the best way we can. We don't get frustrated. And you know what? Sometimes it's really hard to explain things. Um, and so you can also practice certain things in your head. So let's say somebody says to you, why are you a Christian? Well, if you've already thought about that question in your head before that conversation, you're going to be able to answer that question better. So you've already pre-thought about it, and now you can bring that into this conversation. Does that make sense? Or if somebody says to you, why do you think Christianity is true? Well, if you've already thought about that, and maybe you have some evidence to back it up, then you can bring that into this conversation and give reasons why you think Christianity is true because you've already thought about it and dealt with it. So I think the communication in terms of our tone and also in terms of our information, um, the more we do it, and the, as long as our heart is right, we'll get better at being gentler, more patient, and get better in our information that we have for people. Thank you. Okay, I think I have time for one more. And then you have this amazing band coming back up. Yes. So, yes. Yeah, in China, right? Yeah, oh boy. Yeah, that was a good last question there, my friend. So he essentially said, how do you talk about Christianity in places where maybe the government won't let you? This is a young gentleman who lives in China, and that's why he's asking me this question. Um, China, you know, years ago thought they had gotten rid of Christianity, only to find out 50 years later, however later, that there's all these underground churches and that Christianity is growing the fastest in China out of any country in the world. By the way, do you know where it's growing the second fastest? In Iran. Christianity is growing the second fastest in Iran. There's a lot of unrest right now in the Middle East and within Islam because of a lot of the things that have happened over the last seven years with different dictators and also with um, different Islamic rulers and sects that have made Islam look ugly. And so a lot of people are questioning Islam. Um, they're questioning, uh, since Islam can be, since they've had, is the idea was that Islam could be the rule, and once it was the rule, then everything would be great. Well, Islam got power, and it oppressed people. So people then say, wait a minute, if we can't put Muslims in power and have things work well, then maybe the issue is with Islam itself, and they began to question Islam. Um, and so now they're turning to atheism, and they're turning to Christianity. Okay? All that to say, all that to say is this. I'm assuming, are your parents missionaries there? Okay. Teachers? Right, teachers, yeah. Um, so what, so the reason why I said that is because I'm sure that they have a way that they communicate to people in a way that is welcoming, but not where it's so bold and in your face that they can get in trouble for it and the message can be shut down. So I think you are sensitive to what the area is. If I was in the Middle East, I would communicate in a certain way. If I was in China, I would communicate a certain way. If I was in India, I would communicate in a certain way. If I was here, I would communicate a certain way. I think what we do is we say, Lord, I will do what I can do 
but understanding that I actually need your intervention on a greater level so that people recognize that this is a place where they can feel safe and a, greater, and a place where they can talk to me about you. And I think we leave ourselves open to doing what we can within our parameters and knowing that God can do much more than what we're able to do. With that said, I want to just say, you know, I've talked about a lot of different things today. I've talked about people who are oppressed. I've talked about people who um, needed forgiveness. People have done a lot of bad things and they needed forgiveness. Maybe you're one of those people. I've talked about people today who have questioned, who have doubted Christianity, or maybe we even aren't Christians. Maybe you're one of those people. And if that's the case, I want to welcome you as the band is, is playing. I want to welcome you up here. I want to welcome you up here to be able to say that I need prayer. To say that I need prayer. I need somebody to communicate to me, somebody to tell me, somebody to tell me about Jesus, somebody to pray with me for what's going on in my life, somebody to make me, to help me to know that I'm actually loved and cared for because I am like those people we talked about in the Bible. I've messed up a lot. I haven't done those things, but I've messed up a lot. And I want forgiveness. And so if that's where you're at right now, I will tell you, don't, don't wait. Come enjoy the experience of meeting the God who made you. You want to know why you're here? We got that answer for you. You want to know how you live? We got that answer for you. What happens after you die? We've got that answer for you. Why not learn it? And why not take part of it now? So I'd encourage you, if you want to come for prayer, I'm up here and there's other people that will come up and join me if need be.